0: Good afternoon, everybody. So excited to learn with all of you. Okay, what we are, what we're going to look at today is um, the bracha called Geula, which means redemption, um, and it is the seventh blessing in the weekday Amidah. Um, and my my goal here is to um, open up this bracha, which is relatively short. Um, to hopefully new understandings and the first step in doing that is to notice what's strange about it. And this is always the challenge with liturgy that you say all the time. I think I really hammered this point home on Sunday night where you say the words all the time you don't really stop and, and think about them. So our first task is to actually read the, read the prayer and think about um, what are the questions that come up around this um, this relatively short prayer. The reason I brought down the Sidurim is just because part of the questions that you could ask about this prayer is also a question of placement. Like, why is it placed in the particular spot it is in the Amida, and does that tell me anything about what it's trying to be doing? So, to give you a little bit of context about where it is, I also, you could look at the Sidur, but you don't have to if you don't want to. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass around the, the sheet here. If, if you're in the Sidur, in the Koran Sidur, it's on page 215. OK, um, Corin helpfully labels each of the blessings. They got a little headline on each of them in all caps. So the one that we're looking at together is the bottom blessing on page 215. You can use, you can use the Sax translation. You can use the translation I just passed out, which is my translation. Um, they're pretty close. But what I'm going to ask you to do is, in just a minute, to turn to a partner. Um, and a, a person one, one person ideally, for if, if, if an odd number of two people, um, just read box number one. just read the blessing out loud, and ask as many questions as you can about it. OK? So let's do that. turn to a partner, read the text one out loud. How many, as many questions as you can) All right. I want to uh, I want to hear from you. What are some things that you noticed? What are some questions that that came up for you on this very short blessing? Please.
1: Well, it's, it comes from the, from the Sachs translation. Who is God pleading in front of?
0: If he's pleading um, oh. our cause, oh God, he's the it. judge. Plead our cause, right? I have fight our fights. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah,
1: so it's very different. <laughs>
0: yeah okay, so plead our cause right and the idea that the, the reeve um of riva Arivenu, reeve does have sort of like a court uh a court argument side to it, and so you're saying who you know who is God arguing you know nowana tokov has an answer for that, which is god is both the judge and the prosecutor and the witnesses right, so yeah exactly so uh you could but it's a it's a good question who is who is the Who's the court scene that 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 is part of the um, the argument here? Okay, other other questions? Yeah.
1: I think I read different text. <laughs> this is a group of people.
0: What's a group of people? Who is speaking? Yes.
1: C-R. Two.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so I think I think John's point was well, who if 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 we're asking God to reviverevenu to to argue our arguments. So yes, on behalf of us, but in front of whom, right? right? Am I, am I getting the the, the question? Okay. Yeah. Fundamental
2: problem. I just don't understand what we were being redeemed from. I mean... Ah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What's the, what is the redemption? Um, that we're and being redeemed from. Like,
2: like green stamps, you know, you, you, you uh, <laughs> give <laughs> your green <laughs> you redeem them and get them
1: back.
2: And we, and, but I don't
1: understand what it is. That...
0: Yeah, what are the options? Options on redemption, possible options on redemption. What? Okay, what, so... <laughs> what are we being redeemed? What are we redeeming? I mean, and what I mean, are we Suffering. Captives. Exile. Is that with a small E or a big E? I'm just saying, right? It could be the big one. The big redemption. Big exile. Take us out of here. Yeah, David.
1: I've, I've never understood, and now, after all these years, you're going to answer. What, <laughs> what, for the sake of your name, which shows up... Yeah. What does that mean? Redeeming me for my sake, for the sake of your name. Yeah.
0: What is it what is it about God's name? And you could broaden that a little bit. Go either God's name, God's reputation, God, some aspect of God that is apparently what's the main driver of the redemption, according to this version of the of the blessing. So why does God? Why, do, why? Why does God need to be redeemed? Well, I thought this was about us. We're the ones who are suffering captive in exile. How come God? How come it's for the sake of God's name? Okay, yeah. Other.
1: And, and why would His name be? He does something good for a piece of dust like us. I mean, he's. A, Right. It's much bigger. I mean, why, would he, why would that impact his reputation?
0: Yeah, right. Why does it impact his reputation if he does something for us? Okay, yeah. Rather
1: than see our suffering, why not ease our suffering?
0: Ah, everybody can see suffering. I see suffering all the time, right? So what kind of seeing is, 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 is implied in the, in the see, see our suffering? And
2: it seems to imply that right now he's not seeing it.
0: That's right. How could it be that God is not seeing it? Why, well, I have to ask God to see it. There's one thing to not act on it, but how come God doesn't even see it Um, or is seeing an action sort of related or inextricably intertwined? But you you might separate them and then ask why. Yeah.
1: Why are all the, there seem to be a lot of Egyptian references here. I mean, to me at least, we're talking about coming, seeing that uh, God saw their suffering,
0: God uh, saved them, uh, God, God did, uh, Moses says to him, do things for your name, you know, for, for your own reputation, so uh, why are all these... Uh, Good, so it seems, it seems like, Mike is saying, there, there might be some resonances with the captivity in Egypt, and so how, uh, first of all, so I'll just add to that, but we were redeemed from Egypt, <laughs> so... Well, I'm not asking for that kind of redemption, but I, maybe I'm calling upon that imagery. Why is that imagery so sort of forefront here? And if, and if it is, does it help me understand what redemption I'm asking for? Right? In other words, is it something that's related to the experience of Egypt, and that is a specific kind of suffering that needs a specific kind of redemption? Yeah.
2: Well, really, to pick up on that... What I live in North America. I'm a free person. I live in an open society. It's not a perfect society, et cetera, et cetera. But personally, do I do I need to be redeemed? I'm not a slave. I'm not unfree.
0: Good. Okay. Do I do I need to be? It's the flip side of the what redemption am I experiencing here, right? If, if I'm living a, f- a relatively good life, you know, again, in the like, course of human history, we're, we're not doing so bad, or I'm not doing so bad, so do I really need this kind of redemption? Is it, is it, is it meant to have a personal aspect and reflect my re- reality, or is it something that's sort of, tr- you know, above my own story and is like, well, we're not, we're, none of us is free, the law of us is free kind of thing, but but meanwhile i 'm free you know, <laughs> or it 's like you know I miss it's like the you know it was popular a few years at like at our state table it 's uh, um uh, um, Fred Schiffman it was like you know well how do you feel enslaved you know and at some point it's like well if I feel enslaved to my iPhone yeah. why don't you try a little bit of real slavery and see how that compares you know it's like okay you know yes redemption but is this like a metaphor or is this like an actual thing that I like first world yeah first world problems right is this first world redemption or or not yeah I think it says, redeem
2: us quickly. What does quickly mean, and why do we need to be redeemed
0: quickly? Yeah, that's probably related to what redemption do we need to be, or what is redemption? Yeah, ugalenu um, meheira, redeem us quickly. Um, that word meheira shows up uh, a lot in in the Amida. There's a, definitely like a let's let's move things along uh, layer to the Amida as well. So what is what is it about about this? And yeah, and. Going back to the Egypt thing, it might be like, maybe Mehara might be ahead of schedule, right? Because there's like a whole thing in Egypt about, well, you're going to be in Egypt for a certain amount of time, and there's a confusion about how long that time is, and maybe the confusion is based on, well, it was supposed to be this time, but then I shortened the time. And so maybe Mehara is, again, drawing off the Egyptian imagery where a redemption happened before its time. It might be also... Related to that, but but uh, I'm keeping the question live here. Okay, other questions, yeah?
2: Well, just a comment, if that's okay. Um, I'll
0: allow it, maybe. but only because it's Wednesday.
2: Well, maybe, you know, maybe there are times in people's lives when they really need that. And we were talking about that uh, on your translation, the fight our fights. When people are feeling so low, I mean, I don't know if it's Psalm 88 low, but so low that you, you need that help. And so, yeah, maybe we all live in this first world environment, but there are times when people are, even if you go to the extreme, people are abused, you know, and you know, things like that. I hope we don't get to that point, but it's here for that. Because there could be a time you feel that way.
0: Great. Okay, so maybe even if I, like, economically or, you know, socially i am, 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 am doing okay, but maybe there's some something that affects us all, and we're all potentially vulnerable to abuse or illness or whatever it is, and I want to be redeemed from that. Um, yeah, Diane. But
1: I also believe that humans are imperfect and we have our foibles, and why is it so bad? I think it's really great on a daily basis to say, you know, help me redeem, whether it's myself or by the grace of God, help me redeem myself, spiritually redeem
0: myself from um, whatever issues and perfection. Yeah. those are. good, okay, so I think, I think we're, we're, anyone, by the way, in the context of, of, the, of the bracha, anyone have any questions about, that came up just from seeing where it showed up in the context of the Amida that you saw on page 215. Yeah, Howard.
1: Well, we, we contextualized it, uh, if, if I take your question correctly, that um, it, it comes in a, in a roster of holiness, knowledge, repentance, forgiveness. Is that is that where you were going?
0: Yeah, like what's the, so why is it there as opposed so to anywhere else?
1: I baptized it to uh, Maslow's uh, Hierarchy of needs. Okay. Um, and... and, 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 and um, so we kind of played around with that. Okay. You know, and we saw likenesses of the analogs, you know, at, at each level, um, and then we inverted it. You know, it's prosperity, you know, the base, uh, which is comes right completely. Right.
0: Blessing nine. You
1: start with holiness and. Anyway, so that becomes sort of an
0: interesting uh-huh. modality. So, so your your claim, and this is an important assumption that I think many, many interpreters oh, 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 will see, the Talmud itself sees this as a base assumption of the Amida, but but the Amida might not see itself this way, is are the blessings causal or are they built one on the other? In other words, is it, a, is it like a grab bag of blessings that I'm throwing into the middle of the Amida here where there is no rational order to them. It's just like, as it comes out. Or is it, first you're going to have this, and then on top of that you can build this, and then you can move to this, and it's sort of like a, a journey that's actually causally ordered. That is a fundamental debate in the Talmud itself. Um, one opinion is, em the, the middle brachot, they have no order. And this comes down to, like, the rubber meets the road. Like, if you if you skipped a blessing... Or you, or you made a mistake, where do you go back to? And so if it's all about ordinal, right, and you, if, you, if you forgot step five, and you did steps one, two, three, four, and you went to six, so if it's all ordinal, then where should you go back to if you skipped five? going to go back all the way down to one because you got to build the thing correctly. All, you put six on top of four. You can't do that. So you got to start... Start over again, right? If it's just Elam seder then you just go back to the beginning of the blessing you messed up on, and then you're you're good to go because you could have put them in any order; it doesn't matter. Um, So that is that is a fundamental question about the character of the Amida, and I'm going to show you one one text that's related to that. Um, We'll skip we'll we'll skip around the the sheet only because it's going to be coming up based on what you what you raise. Skip over to page three for a second here. What's that? ein Ein Seder, exactly, the source sheet. Um, So look at text number nine. Um, Yeah, actually, let's start with text number 10. So this is, again, the, the core debate of the Amida is a little bit of what's going on in this prayer. Is it an argument that's being built one step to the other, or is it a grab bag? Uh, so you have this debate about even how many, what's the text of the Amida? you should say? It already goes back to the Mishnah. So see number 10 here. Rabbi Yeshua says, This is in contrast to Rabbi Gamliel who says, every day you have to say, all 18. Those of you with this morning, this is one of the sources where it's like, the prayer is called 18, so why do we have 19? All right, leave that aside. Different year, okay? So one opinion is, you got to say all the words. The full thing. That's Rabbi Gamliel all 18. Rabbi Yeshua says, no, you could say main essence of, right? It's, uh, you know, get the main idea in there, but you don't have to memori- memorize all, you know, thousand words. Let's cut it down to a hundred words, okay? Either because you can't memorize a thousand words or we're all busy or who knows what, okay? But that's his opinion. He doesn't explain it. So then the Gemara asks, well, what is that? What is me'en Shmonas, right? If you were going to, You know, summarize the Amida and and knock it down from every single word to something that's more condensed, what would it look like? So Rav says, Me'en ko bracha ubracha. You actually just say, like, a little bit. But you keep each bracha, Baruch Hashem, of all the, 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 the brachot of the Amida. Okay, that's Rav's opinion, how you slim it down. Just go, Baruch HaTah Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, and you get the main ideas. That's how you would slim it down for Rav. But Shmuel says, actually, I'm going to write for you one poetic version of the Amida that has all the concepts. And end with only one bracha, which is Baruch Atah Hashem Shomeat Blessed God who hears prayer, which seems to be like a catch-all blessing that you would say for any prayer. It has the word prayer in the, in the end of it. And this is his text for the, for the Amida that he says. But by the way, you know, you know a version of this from Friday night. What's the version we say on Friday night? That's Me'en Sheva. Yeah, Me'en Sheva. Bracha HaChat Me'en Sheva. It's Mag'en Avot Bidvaro. Meitim Ha'el ha'kadosh, she'ein kamohu. Right, so you're going to run through all the seven blessings of the Amir. You're just going to mention a little bit of them. And, but he but doesn't have a Baruch Hashem for each of the concepts. So that's the Friday night version of it. So Shmuel's got a weekday version of it here. And look at it, you'll see. Havineinu Adonai Eloheinu ladat Rachecha. That's chonein adad. Give us knowledge. Umol elivaveinu And circumcise our hearts to fear you. That's chuva. Batislachlanu, forgive us, Li Yod Geulim, to be redeemed. This is exactly what Howard's arguing. That is to say, Slicha leads to Geulah. So the reason Geulah follows Lichah is because it's an ordered event. Once I have, once I recognize God, that's knowledge. And then I immediately do tshuva because that's what I do when I recognize that God's there. And then I ask for forgiveness. And then I, um, as a result of being forgiven, am redeemed. And then I ask for health. And then I ask for, okay, so that's the way Shmuel's summary of the Amida presumes the Amida actually is a one leads to the next, leads to the next. And what's the, what's the, what's the, 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 the climax of the middle part of the Amida? Like, where does all that lead once you get to the end, the end brachot? What's that? Shema Shema kolenu is sort of like the end, like, that's a catch all, like, hear our prayer, like a summary text. But where are you going before shema kolenu even? Like, what are those final brachot all about? Yeah, you got the in-gathering. You've got the build Jerusalem, right? Bring the 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 descendant of David. You can see where this is all going, right? It's it's headed to the end of time. Okay, and that's where it's you start off with again, no <laughs> exactly right. Dan's right-wing Zionism is on display again. Um, so you know, starting starting with you start with knowledge, and then you you know you move through this seemingly personal experience of tshuva, slicha. I'm asking for refua, for health and and parnasa. I'm gonna ask for you know good life, and then I'm gonna be able to move into the communal national redemption stuff okay so that's if you imagine the Amida as a journey an ordinal journey which Shmuel does right then you could see that Geula is a part of that ordinal journey now they have a problem with that though because Geula actually interrupts an otherwise natural flow. And I like the way that you, you were like, well, we started the, to build Maslow's hierarchy, and we went ahead, right? We looked at parnassa that's number nine, and then you do health, which is number eight, and you'll sprinkle a little bit of, you know, I don't know what you put next, but whatever it is, you, you like, you're building the, the hierarchy, but, you, but it, you're like already noticing that it's, it's not 100% in order if you're going in that um, in that direction of trying to build one to the next. So the problem, the, the way the rabbis understood that problem was well, we have a verse in which you've got three of these terms and actually they're out of order in the Amida. Um, so the verse that they're, that they're talking about, the verse from Psalms which talks about Slicha first HaSolech and then, where are we on our, our list here? Um uh um, So in the verse in Psalms it has Slicha, Rifua, Geula, that is to say forgiveness, health, and redemption. So I I get the idea that one leads to the next leads to the next, but then the Talmud asks, but how come they didn't put it in order? It should have been, right? Forgiveness and then health and then redemption, but instead we've got forgiveness, and then redemption, and then health. So then you start to wonder, and the Talmud wonders, well, so then why is it out of order, right? So, so you have this like, initial attempt of like, ah, oh, the Amit is ent- entirely in order right? Shmuel lays it out for you. You become, you become forgiven in order to be redeemed. Everything's going to lead to the next. And then Talmud's like, wait a minute, why'd they build the order in that way? Or to say it another way, if you think they don't have an order, could you make a cogent argument? If I just threw them all up in the air and they landed how they landed, could you make a cogent argument that, oh, of course, you know, health leads to forgiveness, leads to, you know, knowledge, leads to, you know, you could order it however you want just based on where the cards fell. So then they start to ask, well, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't ordered in the only way it could be ordered. And there's something strange about the order, too. So then they come up with other, other understandings about why it ends up the way it is. But I'm just saying, you are ratified by there's a mainstream approach led by Shmuel, which is it is in the right order, and it's moving from one to the next. And uh, you can see that in text 9 as well. It's not just Shmuel, it was a Babylonian, but you can see in text 9 on page 3, the, the one right above it, um, this is the, the Jerusalem Talmud's version of the same summary prayer. Um, and it's going through and it's saying, "Ratzita tshuva tene, you accepted our tshuva, our, our repentance. Slachlanu, so now forgive us. Chuva leads to slicha. Salach talanu, now you, that you've forgiven us, Galenu. Now redeem us. Each one is building on to the next. And they they, they they emphasize that by saying A leads to B, B leads to C, and they keep repeating the one that just got achieved. Okay? So, if Geulah is in order, then we have to say, why does slicha lead to Geula lead to refuah? Why does forgiveness lead to redemption lead to healing, especially if a verse that goes the other way? And if it's not in order, then you've got to say, well, is there any... Okay, if it's not an order of one leads to the next, leads to the next, is there any order at all? Or is it just totally random? Like, is there another way to think about the order besides causal? Is another way of, of putting it out there. Yeah, Dan?
2: Uh, just a question uh, Is there in the Talmud a clear lining up in terms of these axes of arguments between those who want to argue every blessing is fully fixed and those who don't, and those who argue that the order is fully fixed and those who don't? In other words, you could have a mix and match.
0: So. That's true. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, the people who are on the Rabban Gamiel team, of, you can't just abbreviate the immediate, you got to say the whole thing, whatever it is, because he doesn't give you the text. Um, that is the dominant strain that wins out, even though they are interested in, oh, well, what is this summary version so they like spell it out for you but most people are just going to discuss what the main version is and in fact when you look at in in the there is a long page of the Talmud like a big page and a half of the Talmud that just goes through one leads to the next leads to the next leads to the next and Megillah Megillah, exactly so this is like um, Shmuel has a summary version of that but the Megillah one is just playing out the full text one leads to the next leads to the next so that's the the dominant strain on both of them so both the summary people and the full text people have an argument that it's ordinal um, and then we have to ask, well, but, but you'll see, in the argument that, about that it's ordinal, then they're like, wait a minute, I know there's a verse that has a different order, so how could it be ordinal if I've got this contr- contradicting verse? Then they're going to come up with another answer, which is not about it being ordinal in the way that one leads to the next leads to the next. It has another value to it. Um, which Yeah, please.
1: Okay, I might be confusing the structure and how this all fits together, but so like this morning we talked about how the prayer, the Amida as a whole starts with, praise and then it moves into things that you're asking for and then it concludes with praise and even like in this redemption or even if you're looking at this whole page it kind of starts with praise and then it moves into things that we ask for and then even between like knowledge and repentance forgiveness and redemption it kind of flows into like like the last line of forgiveness is kind of praising and then it moves into the ask and then it ends with praising again.
0: Yeah, so you're, you're raising a very good point, which is if you try to sort prayer into asks or praise, it actually gets very sticky pretty quickly because each of the requests actually ends with a line that seems like it's praise, right? Blessed are you God. We talked ad nauseum about what that means. Blessed are you God, healer of the sick of Israel. Well, that sounds to me like a praise. Right? I'm praising God for being the healer. But it comes as the last line of a request of heal the sick. So what is it? Is it a request? Is it a request or is it a praise in that paragraph? And it, it seems like it's like a mashup. But I'm also here to tell you that sometimes, as we saw Baruch Lamdeni Chukecha. sometimes Baruch Hashem is just an introduction to a request. So I call you the healer of the sick even though I'm actually asking you to heal the sick. I know that you can heal the sick because I'm calling you healer of the sick, which is really just part of my ask. Then you get to the praised ones and you're like, well, am I really praising you or am I actually asking for something? Like if I say that like your name is good and you do goodness, am I just praising you or am I actually asking you to be good? So it gets very complicated very quickly. This neat taxonomy of praise, request, thanks or praise, request, praise gets very blurry very quickly um, because they kind of, they bleed into each other, so you're, you're right to, to notice that. Um, okay, I, I want to give you three, three approaches to the other solution around the problem of the, of the, of the location here and, and see what we think of them. And then we're going to also hit the idea of, you know, what does it mean for my, for my namesake um, and, and, and some of the other images that were, that were brought up here. Uh, again, this is one of those things where it was like, I don't know, how many times have I said this bracha? Never really thought about it. And then I'm scratching my head. And this is why the book isn't finished, okay? Because there were so many things that came up for me around this, but I, I did feel like I got more clarity on it. So I hope we'll, we'll together also get some clarity. So you have three theories about why this blessing is where it is. Now, what's the number? The number blessing that it is in order, remember you've got three at the beginning, that's always the case in the Amida, the three praise ones, and then you've got number four is knowledge, number five is, what is it? Chuva. Number six is Slicha. Number seven is Geula. Okay, so it's the seventh blessing in the Amida. And those of you who were there this morning, you know um, that the structure of the Amida is such that if you're talking about the... F- The first three and the last three blessings are always the same, and then you have in the middle 12, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, why not, (laughs) right? So you got 19 total, and these are the request blessings, okay? So the middle section is always the request, and there was an attempt to divide the middle blessings into individual blessings versus communal blessings, Right? If I'm asking for Jerusalem to re- be rebuilt, I don't mean my block uh, you know, with my house, which, by the way, we had a lot of construction on our block this year. It was very noisy. But that's not what we're talking about, Boney Yushalayim. We're talking about a communal rebuilding. Okay? So that's down in this section. But up here, when I'm talking about forgiveness or repentance or healing or Parnassa, you know, like a good crop year, that's all individual stuff. So you have people who want to divide it smack in the middle. One, two, three, four, five, six. So right here, okay, where the first six are individual and the, and the second six, but now, now seven, are communal. Okay? Which is a great way of doing it. It's a great way of organizing it, except for one problem. Could you please tell me what it means to ask God to redeem me? <laughs> Not us, but redeem me. What does it mean? If I'm asking for God to redeem me, what is what 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 kind of redemption are we talking about? It's not impossible, but it's it's just a, a subset of redemption.
2: Maybe from suffering or from some form of imprisonment or, or binding or... Good.
0: Okay. So maybe it's like the things that I am personally struggling through. Um, uh, it is not an ultimate communal redemption. That's what it is. And then you have to ask yourself, well, then how come they're using all this Egypt imagery here, which was a communal redemption that was like a real finality of, of exile and slavery? So... They're the, the first person who ever comes up with the theory that this blessing is about personal redemption, because again, they're led by this assumption that the Amidah is divided into individual versus communal requests. And so this has to be this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So this is the one we're talking about. This one has to be an individual one. It's smack in the middle, it's not on the, it's not on the margin. It's smack in the middle. It's got to be an individual redemption. First person who ever makes this claim in all of Jewish history is Shadal. Shmuel David Lutzato, who is a modern commentator on the 19th century commentator on the Bible and on, on, on the Sidur. And this is what he, he, he does. Look at, flip back me on page one. Okay? Shadal finds this interesting midrash um, that nobody really knows what to do with because it's so strange, even though it's supposed to be familiar. And this is what he does, exactly how Dan was playing this out. So he finds this Midrash in Sifre Varim. Those of you who are with me in the morning class, Sifre Varim is, again, that rabbinic Midrash on the book of Deuteronomy, which means, what does Deuteronomy mean again? Second giving. Yeah, the second giving of the law, right? The, the deutero, the second of the nomos. Okay, so it's the, the rerun of the law. So it, in this Midrash collection, you have... This concept that they're playing out, which is, before you ever ask for anything, you praise before you ask. That's just like, let me tell you how to, how to get what you want. Getting to yes, okay? So you're going you're gonna to ask for something, but you're going to praise first. Um, and then they bring an example of the Amida. Even the 18 blessings that the early prophets established that Israel pray every, pray every day, they didn't open with the needs of Israel, not the requests. They opened with the praise of God. That's how they started. And now they give you the example. Ha'el ha'gadol ha'gibor v'hanora. Where does that show up in our Amida? First blessing, right? That's, that's the, the, whatever, the, the, the middle of the first blessing. So that's in the praise section. And then you've got kadosh atav in Mecha. Holy are you and awesome is your name. Where do we know that phrase from in our davening? Yeah, so that's the third blessing. When do we say we didn't just say it upstairs in Mincha? Kadoshatav and Rosh When do you say Kadoshatav and Rosh in our liturgical calendar? High holidays, High holidays. you say it on Rosh Hashanah. So they flip. They flip that. We now say Ata Kadosh Pshimcha Kadosh. But this is just Kadoshatav and Rosh Same idea, but it's something that we say. We meaning people who follow the Babylonian Talmud, say this on Rosh Hashanah. People who follow the Jerusalem Talmud said it all the time. This was their main text for the third blessing. Okay, good. So you get your first blessing, get your third blessing. Those are both blessings of praise. Mm-hmm. Now here comes the request blessings. See if you can find them. V'acharkach, and after that, after the praise, you've got Matir Asurim, release the captives. V'acharkach, Rofe cholim, heal the sick. And at the very end, you finish with thanks. Now, here's the problem. They're saying this is the Amidah, but the problem is they're quoting texts that are not from the Amidah. Because where do we say Matira Surim in our Amida, who, re- re- who releases the captives, release the bound in our Amida now? That shows up in blessing number two. Right? Um... It's both here, but that's that's not those aren't requests. That's in the praise part of the bracha. So what's going on? So Shadal says, Ah, you know what these texts are? Well, we do have a bracha that says Israel heals the sick of Israel. Rophecholim might have been the Eretz Israel, the Jerusalem Talmud version of the same blessing. Okay. So that's good. That's a request. I got that one. Where's my blessing that ends? Blessed are you, God, who frees the captive. Doesn't exist. Shadal says, that's the Geula blessing. Ah, you're saying I'm asking for an individual redemption? Because I'm in the individual part of the Amida. What I'm asking for is to be released from captivity. Now, he took that literally. Like, literally, I'm sitting as a captive in jail, and now I'm going to ask to be released, but it could be also figurative or spiritual. You know, you could could go down, you could develop this, okay? But what I'm saying is it's a very recent understanding of the role of this bracha. The role of this bracha as an individual redemption is pretty new. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that it's, it's showing up and it actually shows up Based on a text that has, doesn't even have the word Ge'ula in it. And you have to make a couple of assumptions in order to get this proven the way that Shadal does it here. Like, A, Matira Surim is actually the Ge'ula text, and we're now talking about an individual thing. Because you could also say we were all captive, so maybe it's, it's communal. Okay?
2: Or back to Egypt, maybe it's Joseph. But...
0: Right, exactly. We, 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 were, we were captives in Egypt, or Joseph was captive in Egypt.
2: In the, well,
0: in the prison. In the prison. Good. Okay. So this is, this is theory number one. What am I praying for? What redemption am I praying for? I'm praying for a personal redemption to release me from captivity. And in that way, it's perfectly fitting right in the individual redemption set of blessings. Just like I pray for health for me or the people I know, or I pray for wealth or all that stuff. It's hanging out in the first part of the request, which are individual that is theory number one now we've got theory number two which is you know what there's no difference between these these 13 blessings there's no individual versus communal they're in fact all communal you know why they're all in the plural (laughs) all of them are in the plural that's it in fact they take a very good verse Uh, From Jeremiah, which says, Heal me and I will be healed. And they change it and make it in the plural. And the the Talmud's already saying, you cannot ask for things in the individual. You can't do it. You must ask for things in the plural. You can never ask only about yourself in the the text of the Amida. You want to ask something for yourself? You know where you do that? You do it at the end of the Amida. You do it in the middle of the Amida in your own words. The Amida's not going to give you words for your own personal prayers. You're not going to give your words for the, your own personal prayers. Why should I write your words for your personal prayers? What we're going to have is a communal liturgy to pray for communal stuff. Okay, so all this stuff is communal. Healing is communal. Wealth is communal. Um, forgiveness is communal. chuva is communal. It's all communal. Okay? And in that way, redemption is, is also part of the communal blessings. But there, is, there are two, two sides of this theory. If it's all communal, you still could have a difference right down the middle of the now versus the future. Okay, These are all communal blessings, says theory number two. But we're going to make a distinction between things I need now, like healing. I don't want healing at the end of days. I'd like it now. Right? This is the, the speedily. I want this speedily. I don't want, you know, I'm not, I'm not deferring this. I want this to be happening now. I want my crops to have a good year now. This is stuff that's not going to lead to the ultimate redemption, but it's going to make my life better. And that's the first half of the Amida. And we are asking for stuff right now. Okay? So in that understanding, what is the Geula that we're talking about? It's not an ultimate, capital E, exile, redemption. But rather, let's see how Rashi says it. Um, yeah, Rashi's dealing with it with another problem about what w- what stage of, of redemption are we talking about here? But then he says he's talking about our blessing. He says even though this redemption is not the redemption from exile, it's not the ultimate redemption, it's not capital R from capital E exile. This is a redemption about those troubles that come all the time to us. Right? It's our regular suffering. It's not the ultimate redemption, but it's like, could I have a better experience of life right now without the, the end of days having to be the only solution? That's Rashi's understanding of what this gula is, but it's habaot aleinu. It's our sufferings as opposed to my individual suffering. Okay, Our communal, current sufferings, that's what I'm praying for with this, with this redemption. Now, the third theory... Okay, so you got my... The first theory is my personal redemption. The second theory is our current redemption. And you know what the third one's going to be. What's the third one going to be? My future. Yeah, our future redemption. Because you can't be individually redeemed without me. Forever. Like the ultimate redemption. That's not like an option on the grid. Okay? Other religions went that way. Um, but but for our religion, we're going to be like... communal Communal redemption, that's the only way we're going to talk about the future. And that is actually the dominant understanding of this bracha. So what goes out the window is any division between the now and the future or the individual and the community. And all of these are all about the end of days. They're all about the end of days. That's what we're praying for. It's all about redemption from exile. That's what it is, okay? And you can see, like, for example, in in exactly the opposite of what what, uh, Rashi says, um, why did they say redemption in the seventh, in the seventh spot, text number thirteen? Why did they say redemption in the seventh spot? The Marsha who knows Rashi is after Rashi. That is, Hainu Gulabina galut. That is redemption from exile. The opposite of what Rashi said. Rashi said this is not about redemption from exile. Other interpreters are like, "Yes, it is about redemption from exile." That's when we say redemption. That's what we're talking about. And if you think about the word "gaal goel," those of you who are suffering through the uh, the case that we're working through in the Talmud class in the morning, right? The name of the person who marries his dead brother, his wife <laughs> can't marry your dead brother, <laughs> who marries his dead brother's wife yeah. is the goel. Yeah. He's the redeemer. So, what does the redeemer mean? What does redemption mean? It means reestablishing something that stopped. Okay, like it's the li- in that case, it's the line of that person who died. You're reestablishing that. So also, Goel, um, like we're we're we what's, what's what do we call heaven? What's our name for heaven? Gun yeah. Eden, right? The the Garden of Eden. That's a going back to an original place. Right? So redemption in some ways, the future, I'm talking ultimate redemption is actually a vision of going back to your 1.0 version when things were going great. Okay? Not a, not a completely unforeseen and unimagined world, but something that we have already experienced but kind of lost our way. That's maybe why the whole bodily redemption is part of that theology. Because you can't really imagine a world in which you're going into, you're, you're of course, we're all going to be there for redemption, right? It won't be televised, but we're we're all, we're all going to show up. And so, how can you imagine showing up to something without your body? <laughs> and anyways, it's like uh, like it's very really hard to show up without your body being there. I mean, we've tried dancing in two weddings, etc. But you know, pretty much when you show up somewhere, your body's there. And so, if I'm going to imagine going back to a, a place, I'm actually going to go back to that physical experience that I, I need to be part of to be there I'm not selling you on bodily resurrection right now you can take it or leave it all I'm, all I'm, saying, all I'm saying is that when I, think about, when I think about redemption part of what redemption means is going back to some place that I had already, what's the redemption from Egypt? it's not going to a new place that I never experienced before right, I mean that was Avram but we don't talk about Avram being redeemed from Ur Kasdim, we don't use the redemption word there it's going back to, you redeem your land. The jubilee year is every, the land goes back to its original owner. The slaves get released because they go back to their, nobody's born in the state of captivity in like an ontological sense. You're going back to your original state of freedom. So Geula is some going back to, and what they're imagining this third approach here is, you're going back to, all of these are taking us back to the future, as it were, the ultimate redemption. That's what we're always talking about when we mean Geula. That's what we're doing when we say Geula. So now, how come it showed up in the beginning part here? Well, either, because all of them are all about the future and they're all plural and, and there's no difference between any of them. Or you have another answer. Because remember, what number is the, is the bracha? Is seven. Lucky seven. <laughs> what is it about seven? Right, and again, what did I expect to be number seven? We have this verse from Psalms that says, Rifua, which was number eight. This is the, the healing prayer. Healing, which is number 8, that should follow Slicha. That should be the one that's number 7. So it's out of order, so why is redemption 7? So this is what the Gemara asks, and let's see what they answer. Um, look, turn back me to page 3. Source number 11 on page 3. Why did they say Ge'ulah is the seventh blessing? And here you have to understand the force of the question is as opposed to healing as the seventh blessing. The order, the Maslow's order that shows up in Psalms would have me saying healing. So I'm like all of a sudden shocked that instead of saying the healing blessing, like out of order, I've got the, the Ge'ulah blessing. So why am I saying that as number seven? Amarava. Because in the future, we will be redeemed in the seventh. Therefore, they set it up in the seventh spot. What does that mean?
1: It's a weak answer. <laughs> it's a terrible answer. I mean, the seven. Tell me,
0: eight, me how you feel about the well, answer.
1: I mean, the, your thing about seven and eight, eight is supernatural, right?
0: So uh, seven plus one.
1: No, but I mean, seven is complete this world. Eight is already talking about something more godly. And so that fits perfectly right. with having...
0: As number eight. As
1: number eight. And so they're
0: forced... They're to stuck with it as number seven, so they gotta...
1: Come up with duty taught us, you know, if they give you an answer that doesn't make sense, you have to ask why they, why they did it. And they're kind of forced to back into some unrelated... Like, we're talking logically about how this should be put together, and they're forced to come up with some unrelated thing... Because they
0: don't know. Yeah. Now they could have gone the way of saying, well, Gaula G- is well I don't know, how would they have solved it otherwise? They should have said Ga'ula would have been it would have been fine to have Rafua as seven and Gaula as eight, because yeah. Gaula is supernatural and that actually works very well. Right. But the fact that they inherited a text in which it was number seven said so they have to give the, the medium answer, which is we're redeemed in the seventh, not in the eighth. Anyone wanted to respond or defend? Yeah. Isn't
1: the, um yeah, age to come is the great Sabbath of the, you know, of the world and the 7,000-year day from creation. I think that's what the rabbi said.
0: Yeah, there, there, is, a, there is a power to redemption in the seventh. You know, also, we don't know what is the seventh here that we're talking about. It could be the, the seventh day, like you're redeemed on Shabbat. It could be the seventh year right which is Shemitah or it could be the seventh seven, seven. seven sevens right which is what's that jubilee, jubilee. jubilee. Yeah. right what happens in the jubilee all the land goes back to its original owner. All the slaves are released. There actually was a, um, I was, when I was checking this up because when you have time, you like, check it out. So there's this theory, apparently, by Nahum Sarna, that the, the year in which um, the Jews were exiled, I'm not even saying this is somebody, the years in which the Jews were exiled in 586 was a jubilee year. It was a year that was declared as a jubilee and the final straw that broke that broke the whole thing was that the king uh, the, the king of the Jews right exactly declares it as a jubilee and everybody's sort of like, great, a jubilee. Oh, wait, that's the thing where you have to let go of your slaves and give your land back? I'd rather not participate. And so that's just like piled onto the sins that are going to have them exiled. But then, when do the Jews come back? What's the, what's the return? 70 years. Right, so either it's 70 years, but then they're doing the math, and it's like, well, the prophecy was 70 years, but... I don't know, it wasn't 516 where they came back, right? Wasn't it 536? That's where they were were playing it out, where actually it was 50 years later, after the exile, was another jubilee and Cyrus says, you're all Redeemed, you yourselves are those redeemed slaves. Who, you get your land back here. And so it was like itself a jubilee. So There might be something, you may not like it, but there might be something to the seven upon seven which has this idea of the jubilee and going back, which just leads you to, like the, again, the, I think the experience that at least Ravel is hoping you'll have, even if he's not the one who's inventing it for you, is, hey, when you say this in the seventh, you can't be thinking ordinal. It just doesn't work in the ordinal. That's the part I didn't bring to you, but right before it, they're like, well, it should have been, before it should have been seven. So how come, so you're like confused and noticing something strange. And it makes you think of, oh, this is something that happens um, in the seventh, even though I would have expected something else to be in the seventh to remind me that the seventh is the time that Geula is coming. Now I have an, another question that's related to this, which is, what do you think brings redemption? How do we know that we're getting closer to redemption? Or if I ask you to do something in order to bring redemption, what might you do? Yeah, so maybe in the ordinal version of it, it's like first you do, right, you recognize God and then you have forgiveness and you do tshuva. That's how you do it. Anyone else? Where, where, where are all my liberal folks? Come on. What's, how do you bring redemption in our world here? Tikkun Tikkun olam. Yes, right? You do mitzvot or, you know, good deeds or fix the world. That's, we will, we will build, we're not going to wait around for the God to redeem the world. We will redeem the world, start on that project ourselves, right? This is like a completely reasonable approach. It's not an unfamiliar approach to the Talmud, but I just want to point out, and this is going to shock some of you, it is a debate <laughs> in the Talmud. In other words, what leads to redemption? There is one side that says, you know what leads to redemption? Good deeds. Right? Good deeds and following the mitzvahs, that's going to lead to redemption. So let's get on that train. But then, there's another side as well. Let's flip over to page four. Alright, so now we're talking about ultimate redemption. If this is in, in theory number three, the seventh blessing is about ultimate redemption, where you're going to be redeemed in the seventh, and that's why it's in the seventh spot. You have the following thing. Rabbi Eliezer says, bottom of page four. Straight out of the Babylonian Talmud, I'm not making this up. Rabbi Elazar says, "Im Yisrael osin Chuva nigalin. If they do tshuva, they will be redeemed." Rabbi Yeshua says to him, "They will be redeemed without tshuva and good deeds. That's it. Lo umasim tovim." And then they go on and on and argue, and they each bring verses in favor of their opinion, including the one verse in all of Tanakh that has the word "Goel Yisrael." in it, which backs up Rabbi Yoshua's opinion. This is gonna happen even if we don't have good deeds and mitzvot. And shockingly for the Talmud, there actually is a winner of the debate. And who wins? Rabbi Yoshua. In the end, what is it? The Shatak Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer was silent. Okay, so you have this basic debate about how does redemption come. On the one end, it's based on our deeds and how we behave in the world. And that's what's going to bring redemption. That's Rebbe Ezer's position. But Rebbe Yeshua's position, you know those guys, Rebbe Ezer and Rebbe Yeshua. They're like good sparring partners. In, in my group, it's the, uh, Rebbe was the one who was like, uh, this oven is, is pure and, the, and everybody else says, no, it's not pure. And Rebbe Ezer says, if, it's, if the law is like me, let this crazy thing happen and it happens and this. And a voice comes out of heaven and says, the law is like Rebbe Ezer. And Rebbe Yeshua stands up and says, the law is not in heaven, right? We don't listen to voices from everyone anymore. We go by the majority rules. <laughs> right? And then they excommunicate him, everything falls apart, but leave that side for now, right? So <laughs> Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Yezer are the sparring partners, and Rabbi is like, I know how this works. You do tshuva, you do good deeds. That's what's going to bring redemption. And Rabbi Yeshua says, no. Actually, redemption is operating independently of human behavior, which might be, I don't, know. I don't know, how do you feel about that? If I tell you that-
2: Those of us who've been doing YOMA are seeing the same debate, right, without Kippur,
0: That's right. The day itself atones. Without what do you mean? I thought it was about I have to ask for forgiveness. That's what atones. The day itself, which is, is, is sort of an example of the same thing, which is to say, this day is coming no matter what. It is being driven by the calendar. It's not being driven by your deeds. Sometimes it just happens on its own. Yeah,
2: Will well, is, from last, yeah.
0: From yeah. The yeah, Yeah. exactly. Will
2: embrace, right? Well, this is tied to Mahan Shemetha. This is Um, we're saying um, we can't do anything to really merit redemption. It's Mm -hmm. God's name that merits redemption.
0: Ah, Good. So we're gonna to have to tie this back to David's question. That he's been wondering all along. This is why he paid the price of admission to show up in this class to find out why is it that God is mentioned in this bracha? And you're saying it's connected because actually this is not really a human-driven event in the first place. There's something about on God's timing, and maybe for God's sake, this redemption needs to happen, and humans are sort of like bit players in the whole thing. Again, that's that's only one opinion. Meaning that's Rabbi Yeshua's opinion. Rabbi Ezra's opinion would say obviously it's consistent. It's consistent. Is- it be consistent with that. Good. So we're gonna explore also where that idea comes from but, but i but i i do think it's helpful to connect it to this did you want did you want to add okay so any other reactions to if i told you that redemption comes in the seventh i.e it's on a calendar it's coming at a certain time and it's not even really related to what you do is that is that work for you or or not work for you
1: so why bother praying
0: at- ah all right, now it's like, well, hold on, why should I be a good, why, never mind praying, why should I be like a good person and you know, do, do, you know, do repentance? It's like, the day is going to re- repent for me anyways, I don't have to worry about it. Right? So it could be like, if the whole reason for your being a good person was to get saved, then this takes away all the motivation. right? Now, maybe you're left with, oh, maybe the reason I should be a, be a good person is, like, for other reasons. <laughs> Altruism or something like that. Um, this, this would be the self-interested side of things, right? You do things because you get the reward. Um, but, you know, so I'm not saying it completely destroys Masim tovim and, and tshuva, but it, it, it takes out that, that, that carrot nature of the whole thing, um, that you would otherwise, like, be doing this for this one particular reason. And you might have to ask yourself, like, why do I behave the way I behave? Is it in order to you know um, get get something, or is it like for other reasons? Or maybe it's like, yeah, now that I've been released of that, (laughs) of that hold, now I can start acting like a jerk, like I always wanted to be, right? And I don't have to worry about redemption slowing down. Um, You might go that way. Now, yeah, please. I just
1: want to think. My idea is that just there's mythical time. I mean, so. I mean,
2: there's a whole other aspect of time, right? Spiritual time and, and mythical time. So just because I do something in one sort of time-space sphere doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily not be redeemed in another time-space sphere. And
0: you're supporting this, this notion. In other words, I'm, or, or is it like it comes around eventually? It, it, no, it, it comes around, but also it's a mystery. In a it's a mystery, it's, Right. Right, if you feel like you can plot out exactly how things are going based on the collective behavior points of all of humanity, that's not exactly how it's all going to work out. I mean, as if we need any proof of that. Right? Now, yeah, please. Well,
1: it made sense to me in this order because in the prophets, Israel goes into exile because of sin, their sins, and rebellion against God. And so... if if return from exile follows
0: their return to God. Uh-huh. Good. So I, I, I want to follow that lead for a second and say, actually, let's get back to Michael's idea of how is this related to the redemption from Egypt. Why were the Jews redeemed from Egypt? What led to the redemption from Egypt? God
1: heard their groans.
0: Yeah, God heard their groan. It wasn't like... Yeah, the Jewish people finally did enough tshuva and masim tovim, enough repentance and good deeds that God finally showed up and took them out of Egypt. What Actually, the, what's the Midrashic understanding of the state of behavior for the Jewish people in, in Egypt? They became aware of their Yeah, they were in the 49th level of Tuma. They were one step away from being irre, 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 irrevocably unredeemable. They were so bad. They were, they were so out of the spiritual game. That it was just not even imaginable that any of their merits were driving this Geula calendar. Okay, it was actually something outside of their their deeds. This itself also is a um, is a is a Gemara which I don't think I brought here. Which is well, when are we redeemed? When are we redeemed? Either when everybody is doing all good. Or when everybody's doing all bad. Like, things got so bad that the only option, and I am really pushing this one these days, the only option for redemption is going to be, it gets so bad that this is the only other like pathway from here going forward. Um, this is the, if you look on, on source number 16 on page 5, Amru Yisrael. Israel says, Rebono shalom, When are you going to redeem us? And God says, um, when you get down to the lowest level, that's when I'm going to redeem you. Um, uh, this is, this is a, a quote from a Sidor commentator named the Rebar Yakar, who is known often from his student, um, who was Nachmanides um, Ramban. So, you know, it's always good to be known by your student. But he, he wrote a full commentary on the Sidur And his understanding of, of redemption is, it's not that um, you know, dot leads to Slicha, leads to chuva, leads to Gula. No. It's following the Egyptian model of, you get down to the lowest level. That's when, is, that's when this is happening. Yeah.
1: Isn't that what happened with Shabtai Svi? That the way in which he tried to find redemption was, okay, it's not working. Let's... Uh, of all the
0: halakha, everything and if we get up it's definitely a a, uh, a third rail approach to uh leadership <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and yeah it, I mean again it, it seemed to have worked in Egypt didn't quite work for Shabtai Sfi. Uh, I'm not saying this is like a roadmap here I guess part of one of the one of the the, the ways that I'm reading this or, or the powerful way is there is some desire on God's part to redeem that's independent of my own actions in a positive way. That is to say, the world is tending towards redemption whether or not I can see it in the behavior of people. Um, Because if you're just adding up the behavior of people, which again is like a reasonable position, but if you're going on the other position, if if you're just adding up the behavior of people, you're never really going to add up to redemption. You might throw your hands up and say, forget it, this is never happening. And comes this bracha in the seventh spot when you would have expected something else to be there to tell you, you know what, you can't predict when redemption's going to come just by calculating everybody's behavior. There's some independent experience of redemption that needs to happen in the world that's going to happen on its own time frame, which might leave you somewhat powerless. But on the other hand, it's not all up to you either. Like in a positive sense, like this is something that might happen no matter what we end up all doing as a collective. Um, I want to take take David's challenge on the leman leman shemecha. By the way, where else do we have that leman leman shame thing in the amida? In the first one, right? Umevi goel livnevenahem leman shemo biyava, right? Which is strange because it should have said leman shemecha. Because the whole thing is in second person. Right? Baruch Atab, speaking to you, I should be talking, speaking about your name. Okay? Every other part of that blessing you can translate into the second person, and then all of a sudden you've got a Laman shemo, which makes it, if you're like a textual, critical person, then you're like, hmm, I don't know about that. But anyways, we're not that. We're, uh, we're informed by that. But it's not our ultimate stop, you see. Okay? But just notice also in the first blessing, I mean, this is wacky, right? Umevigo go'el neven am. That has nothing to do with the first blessing. I thought the first blessing was about praise, right? So, mevi goel, ivnevnevnevnev, this gets to your point. is it, Well, it's mevi, who brings a redeemer, mevi goel, is that like a praise or is that a request? And anyways, what's it doing in the first blessing? That should be out in the seventh blessing. We've got a whole blessing for mevi goel, leman shemo. shmo. What I'm saying is the leman shemo shows up twice. It shows up in our blessing, and it shows up in that line in the first bracha, which is also about geulah. Okay, so there's like, like a double reference to God redeeming God's, redeeming us for the sake of God's name. Okay? Now, I think the straightest answer to that um, is that God actually speaks about this um, in, in Ezekiel. God says, and so flip over to page 5, or if you're still there, page 5. When Ezekiel's imagining the redemption, God speaks to him and says, L'chein amor lebeit Israel. Speak to the children of Israel, the house of Israel. This thus says Adonai the Lord. I'm not doing this for your sake. You desecrated my name, and I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. Okay? So, in case you had any thought that this was about me doing this for you, let me set it straight. So again, what I'm saying is, David, that the theology that stands behind this is not original to the Amida, okay? The idea that God redeems for God and not for you, and you know this argument also for Moshe, right? Moshe employs this argument at the, uh, you know, at the, um, which, which one is it? Sin of the spies or the calf or both? Right? The golden calf. So in the golden calf, when it's like obvious the people should be destroyed, Moshe's argument is, well, this isn't really about us. It's about you. And if you destroy the people, what are they going to say about you? Right? Your reputation is going to go down the tubes because you couldn't redeem these, you know, these, these slaves and, they, um, uh, and you had to kill them in the desert. Right? So this is about your shame, i.e. Your rep, the, the reputation understanding of shame. I'm not done yet, but, okay, but, but I'm just saying, that's where the Bible would have you go, around Laman Shemecha. This is just quoting God, saying, this is not about you, this is about me. Which is, I think, a version of, you're not redeemed for Chuvan, and masim tovim. You're redeemed for other reasons that are actually about my stuff, not your stuff. Okay? Which is, like, on the positive side, might be about, you think this is all self-centered stuff, and and where you are standing in the middle of things and i'm telling you you're not in the middle you got to remember that you're not in the middle i'm in the middle i i got him in the middle not you yeah so
2: it's not going to happen because of chuba or good deeds now we think it's going to happen because of prayer it's a little bit if it's going to happen because god wants it to on god's time What the heck are we saying? Ah, great. God's going to listen
0: to us saying? Okay, this is exactly, I think there's two subversive sides to to this angle here. One of which you're hitting on, which is, if redemption's happening on its own time, A, and if it's happening, Laman, Shemi, for my sake, not for your sake, then why are you praying? Mm -hmm. You can't be praying. That doesn't make any sense at all. Right? Praying is not an option here. Praying is not going to help here. And yet, we pray, right? Which is which is basically saying, I reject that everything is all on its own cosmic path in which I have nothing to do with it. I'm saying, please come down and see us. And you said, why did the people get redeemed from Egypt? Because God, God heard their their cries, not because God checked the watch. I mean, that is another story of how we got redeemed from Egypt. It was like time, it's time to go. But sometimes it's, I heard what's going on and there was like a, Uh, you know uh, a shortening the Meherah it's a shortening of the preordained calendar time that's what I was going to say we're praying to hasten it like that's the Meherah word good right the the hasten hasten means there is maybe there is a preset time and I'm saying but we can leap over that preset time like we did in Egypt and yes even though it's not about me and it's all about you and it's coming on its own time, doesn't matter about my deeds still I'm going to pray right still I'm going to I'm going to do something here to, to to change the clock
1: it's part of a relationship with God
2: as well. We're, we're thanking God in advance, uh, even though we don't are instigators or we're not putting this in motion. He He is aware that we care, and that would encourage
0: you. Yeah, exactly. It, it it calls upon this relationship that we and talked about on, on Sunday night, where, you know, and those of you learning with me, you're children of the Lord God. So your children cries, you're not going to hear them. You're not going to shorten the punishment somehow. So you have this, again, this, this dominant approach of this prayer, which is, this is moving on its own path. This has nothing to do with you and your behavior. And then, on the other hand, you've got the, and, by actually saying these, these words, I do think it has something to do with me. And I am calling you back here. And I'm calling your attention again. Yeah, David.
1: I was about to say that the Messiah must have come because I had a question and you came up with an absolutely clear answer. <laughs> I'm, not,
0: I'm not done yet. I, have, I haven't... Yeah. His name he said he
1: would redeem us for the sake of his name. Clear and simple. But then it occurred to me, why should God really care what anybody else thinks? of' God. I mean, if the other nations
0: think big... Back- Good. Okay, so I'm coming to another answer here, which is... Um, which me and my dad were working on this uh, a couple of years ago. We read a very, very long essay on this whole topic, which is God's need for God's own redemption. That is to say, not like the Rambam slash David Stone's vision of God, in which God is completely perfect and has nothing that's going to impact God. Again, going back to Sunday night, but a relational God, part of what God did the text we ended on Sunday night, part of what God did when God said, my name is Eya Asher I was with you in Egypt and I will be with you in the exile, is that and there's a whole substrate here in rabbinic thought of God became exiled God's self. This is the Shechina, God's presence, went into exile with the Jewish people and hangs out with us in exile. And so there's something actually that when God needs to be redeemed for God's leman shemo doesn't mean for your reputation like in the newspapers, but actually your shame, which is the part of God that is most imminent, right? That's definitely how Devarim understands the word shame, right? It's the part that you can experience as opposed to the transcendent part of God. So in Kabbalah it would be like malchut, shchina in that way, or um, you know in, in, in Devarim, it's like you can't you can you can't really know God, but you might understand God's name okay, call upon God's name as opposed to God's essence. So the name of God, LeMan Shemo, that aspect of God is in exile, is suffering with the Jewish people. Now, a suffering God, something we don't like to talk about because other nearby religions other, religions, other religions went to town on that one, right, when they're doing the body stuff and all the other stuff, okay? But I'm saying it is a very, very clear strain in rabbinic thought as well. A suffering God aspect of God that is with us in exile the clearest place we saw this was in the the Kalir poem on um, on Hoshana Rabbah. is it Hoshana Rabbah or every day uh, it's every day uh, every day following the Hoshanas on, on Sukkot when you know we march around with the Lulav and Etrog um, and, and, and you say Hoshana Hoshana uh, Ani Hoshiana the Gemara has a problem understanding what does anivaho mean? What is vaho? What's ho? That's not a word. Vaho. Anivaho Hoshiana. They understand the anivaho Hoshiana as a sort of encoded name of God. We're asking God to be delivered, God's self, as opposed to us to be delivered. Anivaho. We, we want God to be, God, we're asking God for you to deliver yourself, which only makes sense in a world in which God, God's self is in exile and needs some form of deliverance. Okay. God is with us in exile, but not like taking care of us, but then goes back to sleep upstairs at night. It's like is actually with us in exile the entire time and as a result is desperately in need of redemption just like we are. So liman shemo or liman shemecha could mean about reputation, could mean Ezekiel, could mean about this is what are people going to say about you or it could mean, again, in the rabbinic understanding of it is this is the part of God that gets stuck with the people who are suffering and is suffering along with us. And God needs to be redeemed just like we do. So we are in some ways praying for God's redemption for God's own sake. (laughs) We don't don't think about things this way. It's like a little bit hard to to conceive of. But imagine a world in which the redemption that's needed is not even primarily our redemption. Our redemption is like only an aspect of the much deeper need for redemption that God had our suffering is only a minor mirror of the suffering that God is experiencing with the world in its current state so when I ask for God to be redeemed, it's like a full and total redemption that is worthy of God being redeemed, as opposed to just humans being, humans being redeemed, that's easy, that already happens. we did that a few times, but God being redeemed, that's, that's the real trick, right, that's the end, the end of time, the exile is over forever, that kind of thing. And it's not about my reputation, again, rabbinically, biblically it's about my reputation, but rabbinically, it's about I, God, am in exile with you, and I need to be redeemed with you order to have my full self back together which again Kabbalah plays this out over and over again but that's that I think is a way you might read this that uh, again might be theologically like weird or terrifying or too Christian or whatever but it might actually be oh there's some meaning to this it's not just about your reputation and you're like a vain god who needs to be understood by the nations in a certain way it's about your suffering and we want that suffering to be um, alleviated to some extent. I'm gonna let you decide if Mashiach came or not. Okay. Any other any um, any other thoughts or reactions to the to the ideas that we put out here um, so far?
1: I'm un, kind of unrelated. Couple over the last few weeks, reading all about Moses' anger. Yeah. One of our torah I read said that the seventh blessing is talking about helping control anger. The mm-hmm. How so? Reva Anyenu? Reva Anyenu had to do with praying to help us control our anger. And if you look at how it fits in, you know, knowledge recognizing how anger has hurt people, repenting, asking for forgiveness, how Uh anger has hurt other people. And if we can control our anger, then we'll heal. So I don't remember exactly how they got connecting anger to Reva Anyenu, but...
0: It would be in that ordinal way of viewing the amida, which again is a dominant strand of understanding how the amida works. Maybe the and we had questions about what is what is exactly why does God need to see and what is the um, riva rivenu. It's worth looking at the quote that this is all based on from the first part. So flip over to page two. Um, from Psalms, Psalms 119. We saw Psalm 119 on Sunday night when we said, Baruch Hashem, Lamdeni Chukecha, that comes from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in all of the Bible. It's an, it's an alphabetical acrostic where for each letter of the alphabet you've got eight, eight strands. Okay, so it's eight times 22 verses. That's, uh, that's a super long psalm. And you've got the Rish, the Rish um, section, which is in number five here on page two. Re'e ye. V'chaltseni ki toratcha lo riva rivi ugealeni le'im chayeni. Okay, so here now you can see the the way again. Almost all liturgy works this way. It's just a quote from the Bible. That's all it is. That's all it almost ever is. Okay. Then you have to ask yourself, are they, doing some, are they just doing a block quote from the Bible? Or is there something that they're doing contextually that's giving me another dimension here? So what are they quoting and what are they not quoting? I think that's interesting here, right? First of all, you have the mashup of see my suffering. Right, that, there's the like. Why is it C? I don't know. That's what the psalm says. Okay, the so psalm already has that that expression. Why is the reeve? Why is God gonna go to court? I thought God was the God, God was the arbiter. I don't know. That's the imagery that the psalmist is using. See, that's always like a reasonable answer. You can just back up the question to the Bible. Why does the Bible use those language as opposed to the sidur? Fine, but here also notice what's missing. What don't we talk about in our bracha that the, that the verse here does talk about? Re'eon yiv echalzeni. Chalzeni is just another word for save me. Ki Torah chaloshechachti. Right? Why should I be saved? I never forgot your Torah. Right? Now, we don't actually quote that That key. And the, the key um, phrase in the Amida shows up a lot. Right? Where do we have the key? Why should you do this key? Rifa'e'eni wa'adunayvene Rifa'e'oshe'enemi. Ki Moshe. Yeah, There's a lot of times in the amida where we say, you should do this because, 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 because. Here, we got a great setup. Here's the because. It's right here in the verse. But you know what? We don't quote it. Right? Which might also, again, back up the idea of, why do I get redemption? Not because I'm perfect and I remembered your Torah. It's just, I get redemption. Because it's the seventh, it's in the seventh spot, it's coming. It's happening. Or because you need it, not because of me. right? So it's, In other words, when you find the quote, you also have to understand how the quote is being um, sort of massaged into the prayer. So by leaving off, now it might be like, implied, why should you redeem us? Because implied, we're keeping your Torah. Like, the fact that I'm saying this prayer implies I never forgot your Torah. So you could read it in, but I'm saying if you read it out like the, like just the straight-up, you know, prayer actually does, it's not there. Then you might be tempted to say, oh, we get to be redeemed even if we did forget your Torah, <laughs> right? In other words, it's not a cause-and-effect thing based on our behavior. And this would be another another example of that playing out. Yeah.
2: We already asked to, to uh, help.
0: What's, oh, the dad, the dad part. We already asked.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, so we want to understand learning is Torah,
2: right?
0: It's such a, it's, it's interesting you, you bring that up because actually there's some versions of that bracha, the, the fourth bracha, the first request bracha, that actually have, that have a direct reference to Torah. What's striking in our bracha is actually There's no reference to Torah so right? there's Shuba
2: where we say bring us back to Torah
0: Right yeah, um, What is it? Ashivenu avinu Torah techa So there's the We haven't come back, we want to come back to your Torah what You would imagine in the dad bracha, in the knowledge bracha It would be like, teach me the laws of your Torah Which again are in some Geniza Manuscripts of that, of that bracha But in the ones that we have, it's just knowledge Like Hanging in the air, as opposed to like coming from.
2: Because if we return to your Torah, now we have it. We have
0: your. Torah. We have it now. now uh, and then you go on to the the Gula because we Chuva leads to Gula. Good, okay, so the Torah I don't, have to, I don't have to rub it in your face I already mentioned okay. Although I just said In that one I just said Return us to your Torah okay. Didn't mean I Because I never forgot your Torah I'm not well, saying assume that Assume success Assume success Okay, fine, good You can do that again on the, ordinal, on the ordinal read I want to leave you with One other image of this bracha And again What I'm trying to say is, This is always my shtick It doesn't only mean one thing it doesn't only mean one thing, okay? So if you like the Shadal explanation of this is individual redemption, go for it. If you like Rashi's explanation that this is about communal but now redemption, go for it. If this is if you like everybody else's explanation that this is actually about ultimate redemption, also go for it. Or you can switch it up depending on what day it is. I just wanna I, I want to add I'm serious, but I want no one's controlling your thoughts during davening. No one's policing them. Um, so so you're allowed to do that. You can also think about whatever you normally space out about like I do, but okay. <laughs> but uh, but uh, there's one other aspect that I, w- I want to leave you with here, which is you know, there was another Amida that shows up in the, in the ancient literature, which is actually unusual because um, as I mentioned this morning in the learner service, the Talmud doesn't re- really record the words of the Amida. But they do record exceptional words to the Amida. Because in other words, when you need to know the words because they're so exceptional. And the example they give there is on a fast, on a public fast. A fast that's not a fast that's already built into the calendar, but a fast that's coming because there's a drought. And when you have a drought, you step one is first you're going to fast, and you can do that for a while, like 13 cycles of fasting. And then what's the real nuclear option? Davin. <laughs> okay, if fasting didn't work, then your last and second, second best thing is to daven the Amida, to, to pray an Amida. But it's not a normal Amida, it's an 18 blessing Amida that has an extra six blessings that you add in because it is a fast. In other words, because we're in a drought situation. So you, you get to, again, those of who were with me this morning, it's another multiple of three. Okay, so you add six brachot into your regular Amida, so you get 24. Blessings. And where do we add in those extra six brachot? You guessed it. In Geula, in this bracha, okay? Which is obviously not about individual. It's like it's I'm not asking for it to rain on me and not on you. It's obviously gonna rain on all of us. So there's a communal side to it. But look at the liturgy that they add, which does seem to have an individual aspect to it. So look at the bottom of page two. Okay? They're listing out in the Mishnah, okay, the earliest source of Jewish law, they're listing out what the text of this special Amida is, what you add to the blessing of Ge'ulah. And again, it only makes sense to add it to the blessing of Ge'ulah if it has something to do with the experience of Ge'ulah. Okay, so here's the text that they add Rishonahu Omer, this is the first blessing that you add. Misha Anah et Avraham ba'ar bekol Some Bayom hazeh Baruchat goel Yisrael. Now the other five blessings that they that they add are, um, are they have their own separate chatima have their own Baruchat Hashem at the end. This is the only one that they felt was so close enough to the, the theory of Baruch, of goel Yisrael that they actually just stuck it right in there instead of our normal text. Whatever the normal text was, okay? Which they don't print, but they give us this one. So, what does this raise up for you? Who, he who answered Abraham on. What, what was the answering that happened on Har Moriah? Huh? Gave him another ram. Yeah, gave him a ram instead of his baby son, okay? so Or not baby, 37 year old son, but depending I on which midrash you go with. He asked
1: for it. He wasn't, wasn't answering, he wasn't responding to a request or a question.
0: He, It came out of its own. Yeah, right. Again, the Midrash might imagine that Abraham is asking, like, hey, could anything else work here besides my child? But that's not what it says in the Torah, right? God just comes out of of the blue. Again, maybe like redemption here. But also you have this other aspect of what do we need to be redeemed from? Like, what is Abraham experiencing in that moment right before redemption? It's that terror of, you know, I'm about to do something that is, I can't believe I'm going to do that. It's like the ultimate, you know, test case. Um, You know, who's who's team are you on here on morality or what's going on with the akeda? There's a lot that's wrapped up into it. And Abraham is redeemed from the experience of having to go through with the akeda you know, act. So there's a redemption here that does have an individual aspect. Even though we're playing that down, and said Shaddal was the only one who came up with it. It's very, very late. But on the other hand, somebody thought that this is the right bracha to add to our blessing, shifted out the old words, threw in these words, which is about Abraham, you know, going through what he's going through at the binding of Isaac and being saved by God or by the angel of God in that moment and not having to go through it. It's like a different understanding of what that redemption is. Now that redemption also might have had some costs. You know, it's like Sarah dies and they never speak again. or You know, all that stuff that you notice in the Torah that's played out in the Midrash. But there's something here, I think, also about what redemption are we talking about? Ah, it's the, spiritual, going back, it's the spiritual suffering that Abraham is having in that moment or the elation of being saved from not having to go through with something that he's opposed to or whatever it is, whatever's happening in the moment of the Akedah is part of the experience of what we're calling upon when we call God Goel Yisrael, the Redeemer of Israel. So I'm going to hopefully let all these ideas sit for a while, and when you come back to Davining tomorrow morning, we'll see what else comes up for you.
2: We do have the prayer, I mean, we added prayer on
0: fasting. Correct, the Yeah, that's right. In Slichot, we we have the, we have these, but not in the middle of our meetup, the way they used to do it in the Mishnah. Bingo yep, ale. It's right. it's, yeah. its own bracha. They have their own bracha. So they call it, it's a says, we add here. We add here, but they add an entire bracha. This is the only one that's interpolated into our bracha. It's
2: just
0: to Yeah, that's right. It's in that spot. Yeah. Well, nice yeah. to learn with you. Okay. Thanks for listening. To learn more with Hadar, please visit hadar.org/slash Torah. Thank you.